green hoodie Bathing eight tennis shoes No time for pictures No time for interviews We're going get the money Snowstorm is sunny Try me and I'm coming out my coat on or something Note on the table Pay me a day go You can't get the cash Then pay me and yeah yo Save me the drama Don't go run the snitch If that's your mama Then I murk you right in front of that bitch I'm a young money Cash money universal soldier Watch out Miss Sylvia I'm kind of feeling ya I'm a headache But they love the pain I ask a bitch her name Until I go board the plane I'm so sure I know more I'm so more the rain I know whores that know whores That's always with some more whores You owe whores I show whores I grow whores I know what's at the store Cause I go more I go forth and so forth Mama says she's so bored With old boy Oh Oh, I leave that pussy so sore. That's right, no doze. Bitch, get lost in the current. How the dough flows. Niggas. What's up? What's up? What's good with it, everybody? We back again for another episode of the Pick and Roll Podcasting. Man, it was a rough weekend for the kid, man. <sighs> Sam, what's good? <laughs> <laughs> what's good, world? <laughs> I'm pretty sure y'all know where that chuckle came from, so we might as well go ahead and get straight into it, man. This past weekend, we had the playoffs, and as far as the NFL is concerned, we had the NFL playoffs, and these were some of the more interesting, uh, might I add, I I think that these were some of the, the most entertaining games that we have had in a while, at least a couple of them were, but, uh, We'll go ahead and touch on the first one, which is, you, you know, the one that I probably don't want to talk about very much is the Rams and the Cowboys, man. The, the Rams, they they whooped up on my boys. They beat us 30 to 22, but I don't think that that score was indicative as to how much they really just manhandled dominated. us. Yeah, <laughs> they flat out dominated us. What was your takeaway from this game, Sam? Uh, first off, I was extremely excited that we knocked off them boys because <laughs> I damn sure did not want to have to go a whole off season listening to that bullshit on Facebook. <laughs> so uh that's one now that I got that out the way, um I just feel like the Rams really did um exactly what they needed to do to to win that football game. They came back on offense and looked like the team that we thought they were earlier in the season. Control first down like they did majority of the regular season. Everybody, um, the one thing that I think, well, two things that I think changed the way, well, hurt the Cowboys is that y'all didn't know about CJ Anderson for one, and for two, is there's no way that you could really plan for the Rams defense to show up the way that it did. Um, I actually did because I felt like there's no way that you spend all that money on the defense and they don't give you anything in the playoffs. So I, I, I think that might've been more of me just hoping that they were going to be good, but yeah, I, I, that's my takeaway from the game. I think my biggest takeaway was definitely CJ Anderson. You could tell the Cowboys prepared for Todd Gurley because early the Rams had a couple of drives where they were feeding Gurley, but they weren't as successful as they had been in the past. So you could tell the Cowboys made a point to stop CJ or uh, to stop Todd Gurley. But that's where coaching comes into play. McVay saw that the Cowboys had pretty much prepared for that. So what do you do? You switch it up. You throw a wrench in there. And what they did was instead of them just having CJ Anderson as a spellback to come in there when Todd Gurley got tired, 
they used him primarily. They used him early, actually, earlier than I expected them to use him, which in in a result basically wore down the Cowboys' defense. So when it was time for Gurley to actually get his touches, it's like, dang, C.J. Anderson getting six a pop, and then here come Gurley, and he start getting four or five a pop. So it's like it was extremely difficult <clears throat> for the Cowboys to to – handle that run game or that combination in which I think is a deadly combination moving forward for the Rams. But another major takeaway was that the Rams did something that nobody else had done this year to the Cowboys, which was they played the Cowboys game against them, which in turn allows the Cowboys not to be able to do that. And when I say that they played the Cowboys game, I mean that they controlled the clock. Everybody knew that the Rams had a very high-powered offense. That's what they've been all year. But McVay said, okay, everybody's pretty much preparing for that. So come playoff time, let's give them something that they're not preparing for. They're not preparing for us to chew up the clock and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and then just throw the ball when we have to because that's pretty much what they did. And it worked. It <laughs> it worked definitely. Um, I think I don't think we passed any less than we really normally did. I, I just think that it the when we were passing, it was it wasn't obvious passing situations, so you couldn't really key in on it as much. Like I don't I like I like the way that they mixed up the play calling. Yeah, I I don't know. Golf only threw the ball what twenty eight times. He was fifteen for twenty eight. Um, he didn't really throw the ball that much. I guess that's not really a small amount, but I guess it's it's more of the passes that he threw. They didn't throw too many down the field routes. They threw a couple of post corners. Most of his passes were uh, into the flats or uh, shallow cross routes, which obviously as a defense, those are the the type of plays that are difficult to defend anyway, especially when it's a, a short down. Most times when he had to pass or when he did pass, it was on a short down. It was third and two, second and four, something that was definitely manageable. So I do commend you on that. And the last thing that I want to say was that the Rams don't get enough credit for how good their offensive line really is. I didn't know this until I started watching the game. They are the only team in the NFL that has had their entire offensive line start every game this season. And that that's huge for anybody that that follows the game of football you know how big that can be having that experience so that's one thing and even outside of that offensive line their defensive line dominated the line of scrimmage with not being able to with the Cowboys not giving the Cowboys any type of running lanes for Zeke or anything like that and like you said that was that's exactly what the Rams needed to do in the offseason they needed to to build up a defense that was strong enough to get them through the playoffs because I damn sure wasn't about to let you get out of here without us at least touching on Zeke's 47 yards. No, there's there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely nothing that that's definitely something that we can't move past because obviously this is this is something that that the Cowboys really we really pride ourselves in being able to run the ball. If we can't do anything else, we're going to run the ball. If Dak's not looking good, if our line's not holding up in a pass rush, you can pretty much guarantee that if Zeke has 20-plus touches, 
he's going to be effective. He's going to be somewhere near the hundreds, if not there. This was the first time I've ever watched Zeke play, get 200 or excuse me, get 20 carries and not even reach 50 yards. And that to me, that's uh, it's disturbing as a Cowboy fan. But as a football fan, it's commendable for the Rams. You really have yeah, to you use, use up against a juggernaut. Hey, you really have to appreciate <laughs> what they were able to do defensively to completely take Ezekiel Elliott out of the game. And I mean, when you have a defense like the Rams that's built like the Rams, that's exactly what you want to do. You want to take away Ezekiel Elliott and say, okay, well, Dak, you're going to beat us. You're going to have to beat with us. A qu- yeah, especially with a, when you're playing against a quarterback like Dak. Yeah, that's that's the type of guy that you're like, I want. you're going to beat us. Go ahead. We're, we will load the box all night, and we're not your typical load-the-box team. We're a load-the-box, and you're really going to feel the – you're going to feel it. You're going to feel that we load in the box. But Zeke got his hair rocked. Oh, my gosh. That hit by Fowler, <laughs> that's the hardest. Yes. And that's I've never seen Zeke take a hit and fall on his back like that. <laughs> Soon as I saw it, I'm like, let's, oh, shit. Like, I was in here watching a game with my wife. I was like, I- I've never seen Zeke get hit like that. And it was early in the game that he got hit like that. So it was almost like the Rams was setting the tone off Buck. Like, listen, this is what you he- in for all night. Yeah, I, I think he he felt that, and he got the message loud and clear. Because <laughs> He wasn't running soft or nothing, but after that hit, things changed a little bit. Yeah, I think after that hit, his head was on a swivel a little more. Zeke's always a patient runner, but after that hit, I think he became extremely patient. Like, all right, hold on. <laughs> Let can't, me... be, can't be running full speed right. over there. We don't know what's lurking <laughs> on the other side of that shit. <laughs> Fact. But, yeah, man, we, we touched on this game enough. I don't want to talk about this shit no more. let's jump to the next game man as far as the playoffs were concerned we also saw the kansas city chiefs and the indianapolis colts the chiefs put it on the colts 31 13 was the final score of that and that was a bit surprising to me because this is a colts team that we had seen playing their best ball they had played their best ball the last what eight or nine weeks they had been playing this well so for them to come out and get manhandled the way that they did by the, the Chiefs, it really, to me, speaks volumes as to where the Chiefs are mentally. They don't care who you are. and If you go into the Super Bowl, it's coming through us. You got to come through Kansas City. We don't care how well you're playing. Just know that when you come down here, it's going to be something different. And that, to me, was – that's exactly what I took from that game. It, it just looked like the Chiefs were basically saying, we're better than y'all, and we're going to prove it. What What did you take from that game? Yeah, I, I felt the exact same way. I, I felt like the Chiefs kind of flexed their muscle a little bit. Yeah, I, I was expecting a Chiefs team to come out a little slow. I wasn't expecting them to come out um, – and was it seventeen nothing early? Yeah, early. So it, it, yeah, they definitely came out with a point to prove. And to me, this is a great way to start your playoff run off, especially when you have the Patriots on tap next, which is the next game that we'll jump into. Um, the Patriots also pretty much flexed their muscle, which. I wasn't too surprised about. I was just surprised, just like I was with the Chiefs. I was surprised at 
how quickly it got out of hand. I was expecting the Chargers defense to at least keep it close for a while and then Tom Brady eventually pull away, but it hey, they pulled away basically immediately. They beat the Chargers 41-28, which the score doesn't really seem too bad, but the game wasn't close at all. Um, what was your takeaway from this one? Um, I actually didn't get to watch much of that game. I had a game at, at the Y. So when I left the crib, it was 14-7. to And uh, while I was at the game, I asked somebody what the score was, and they told me 35-7. to <laughs> Yeah. It's like, damn. Like, it got out of hand in a hurry. Yeah. I didn't get to watch it, but from the time span, it got out of hand quickly. And um, I didn't even have a – I was expecting to come home and watch maybe the end of the third and then the whole fourth quarter after my game. But it wasn't even the point in doing that. The game was over well before the third quarter started. So Yeah, the, the Patriots did a lot of what the Rams did. They completely took – uh, the Chargers out of their run game. They had obviously they have Melvin Gordon, who they try to get the ball to, and they just weren't successful. They weren't successful at all. I thought the Cowboys had a tough night running. Um, Justin Jackson and Melvin Gordon had an even tougher time. They combined for a total of nineteen rushing yards. Oh shit! Yeah, nineteen rushing yards. So they, I think, what happened here was it wasn't necessarily a case of them stifling the run. It was a case of them getting behind so early that they had to open up their offense and go away from the run because they only uh, had 10 carries total. Nine from Melvin Gordon and one from Justin Jackson. So they pretty much, yeah, they made Phillip Rivers air it out, which he threw the ball 51 times and connected on 25 of those passes. So One thing I did see from like watching highlights of the game and like just like different clips and stuff, is that the Chargers tried that um, that three D backs at the linebacker spot again, mm-hmm. and that's not something that's going to work against Brady, in my opinion. I feel like he's going he's going to get you in the right play, and then if he's not, then Belichick is. Mm-hmm. Like I heard the analysts talking about how they switched up their blocking schemes a little bit to where when they when they saw the safeties out there they would use the fullbacks and the tight ends to block them guys instead of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The bigger guys to block them and whatnot. Something that the, something that the Ravens weren't able to do with the, with the younger quarterback in there. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a huge takeaway as well. And that's just another way of Bill Belichick showing just how much ahead of the curve that he is. Like when you prepare for a team like the chargers, Obviously, most people are going to prepare for the pass rush with their their line, their D-line, or um, things of that nature. Not only did they prepare great for that, they went ahead and took you out of what you're comfortable of doing. Like you said, they they were getting pretty comfortable trying to run that uh, 6-DB set. And granted, it's not necessarily a bad decision when when you're playing against a quarterback that likes to pass. But when you're playing against a quarterback with the expertise of a Tom Brady, that's when it gets a little tricky, like you said. You better believe if there's any quarterback in the league that's going to diagnose what you're doing and check out of it and switch it up, it's Tom Brady. He's definitely that guy that you don't want to play this type of defense against. Chris Carter gave a a very interesting analysis on the way that the Patriots game plan. 
I, I love watching their show because I, I like listening to Chris Carter and the insight that he gives on, on, on the NFL and whatnot, having been in the locker room or whatever. Mm-hmm. He said that a majority of the NFL coaches, like when they're game planning for a team, they're going to take certain plays that are already in their playbook and piece them together like, okay, these plays will work against them. These plays will work against them. These plays will work against them and whatnot. And then he said Bill Belichick is a, a team-specific game planner to where he's drawing up plays just for that team for the team that they're playing that week. So I, I thought that was real interesting because, I, I mean, like I never really thought about something like that for real, like how how they really game plan, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that that is yet another reason why Bill Belichick is the best coach in the NFL. A lot of it has to do with things like that. Obviously, a lot of coaches don't put that much attention onto game planning. They obviously have certain game plans that they run, and they may tweak it here a bit for a team, but they're not running specific schemes for certain teams. They'll have, okay, well, this week we're going to do our run-heavy approach, but we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to do more uh, more stretch plays, more off-tackles as opposed to dives and things of that nature or isos. But like you said, Belichick is a guy that's like, nah, we're not – no, we're not going with a run heavy or – He's uh, redesigning exactly, the block exactly. for the plays for, for that team that week. And that's, to me, what makes them so dangerous. It's, I mean, there's a reason why these guys are going to their eighth straight conference championship. It's not by could accident. That be, could that be the reason? It could be. It could be. I think I mean, that a couple you could have to couple that with the fact that they do have Tom Brady and yeah, of course things of course. like that. But yeah, for the most part, I would definitely say that. But that to me is what makes this upcoming game so much more interesting with them and the Chiefs is because not only do they have to game plan specifically for this ball club, it's not this isn't a ball club that's easy to game plan against because Mahomes is a different type of quarterback. He's he he really does it all. There are a lot of plays that almost seem like ah they don't got nothing. There's nothing there. And he's playing flag football. Exactly. He's a danger. People don't understand that he's not just a uh a capable a capable runner. He's a talented runner. He's really a guy that once his feet get to moving It's a big play on its way, whether it be him extending the play and finding a receiver downfield with the threats that they have or him tucking it and running it for a big time, big time play. Because with the team, with the offense like the Chiefs, you can't you. The last thing you want to do is be short as far as your uh, secondary is concerned. You don't want to take anybody out of your. Uh, defense or out of your zone or out of your man-to-man defense and have them spy Mahomes because that's one less guy that he has to worry about as far as passing. But then you drop a guy and don't spy him. Now now pick your poison. I see a lot of Aaron Rodgers. He's very Aaron Rodgers-ish. I'll even go even a step further and say he might have a little more moxie than Aaron Rodgers do. Like he the the type of shit that he does out there, like the no look passes and 
how he he'll go ahead and and try. He he wants to make the beautiful pass. He's gonna try to float it over the linebacker. Like, right. He he enjoys doing that type of stuff, and he's great at it. The more I watch him, like man, he's definitely man, impressive. Is a dog. You see stuff out of a first year starter in him that you've never seen before. We have yeah. never seen a first year starter this ready. And he's like a Kyrie type of quarterback. He, like yes, crafty as hell. Like he he rolls out the pocket and he looked one way, knowing good and damn well he never was going to throw it, <laughs> throwing it to the left the whole time. Like he just he just a step ahead of the defense. It, he he's something he's special to watch. I can't even lie. He definitely is. And you see certain plays like something as small as he has a pass that's able to get there, but it's definitely going to take. Um, I guess a certain type of throw, and a lot of times you'll see him sidearm the ball in there and make it look effortless. Sidearming a pass is not easy. Hell no, it's <laughs> not easy. He, he gets off on that type of stuff. Like he thoroughly enjoys looking defenders off. I feel like I feel like that nothing makes him more happy besides throwing a touchdown pass. Than, than looking the defender off and having them looking crazy because they just watching his eyes. Like, I feel like coaches probably are in practice, like, do not look at his eyes. Don't, <laughs> don't watch his eyes. Don't do it. Because you're going – you're beat. You watch his eyes, you're beat. Yeah, man, that's – yeah. He's he's definitely a special specimen. But uh, let's touch on this last game real quick. Uh, to me, it was probably the most um, entertaining game out of the divisional round. That being Philly and the Saints. Um, the Eagles came out the gate strong. They, uh, with me being a Cowboy fan, obviously I'm rooting against Philly. And I just, I was hoping and praying that Nick Foles did not do it again, man. And the way that they started this game, I got to thinking, oh, man, he really is. He's about to do this again. They started the game 14 zip early and that's the last time they saw the end zone that's the last time they made the scoreboard light up period um the saints then went on a 20 to 0 run and ended up beating them 20 to 14 but um i think the biggest takeaway from that game were the adjustments that the saints made especially defensively offensively they did a great job of uh, switching up what they were doing as far as running the ball. They tried to run the ball between the tackles with Mark Ingram a lot. And Philly pretty much, they love that. They'll eat that up all game. So what do they do? They decide to run more off tackles and more stretches and things to the outside with the Camara, a guy who's quicker, who's better on his feet, can make a couple defenders miss a lot easier than uh, Mark Ingram can. Then on defense, defensively is what really impressed me. They they were getting beat badly by Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey. Those were the only two guys that were really beating them. So what they did was um, at a certain point in time, they had Marshawn Lattimore being just a shadow out there. He was pretty much uh, – he played his zone, but – you could tell that they were lining him up in certain areas. You saw his first interception when he undercut Ertz. That was all him. He had a zone, and he broke off of the man that was in his zone to drop and guard Ertz. If he doesn't do that, that's 
easily a catch, 20, 30-yard game, maybe even a touchdown. He undercut that, catches an interception. From that moment on, Foles stops looking at Ertz. He doesn't look at Ertz as much as he did. He starts looking at Alshon Jeffrey. And what they do then is they let Marshawn Lattimore follow him everywhere on the field. And he did a phenomenal job. This is why you draft a guy this high. And granted, he has some struggles throughout the season. But this is why you keep confidence in a guy like him. Because he definitely showed what he was capable of doing. And that, to me, pretty much is why Philly wasn't successful offensively. But, um... Yeah, man, the Saints look pretty good. I will say that. I think that, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proud Buckeye, and I must say that my Buckeyes pretty much won this game. What Mike Thomas did on offense and Marshawn Lattimore on defense, so they looked good. But what was your takeaway from this one? Man, I really ain't got much to say about this game because they ain't going no further than the <laughs> So it don't matter. But really – Everything that you said good about the Saints is true. But Foles was working that magic again with the clock ticking down. And Alshon Jeffrey decided that he ain't want to play no more. <laughs> Flat out. That's how, that's, that's how I look at it. I, I don't got no sympathy for him whatsoever. You the number one receiver on that team. You got two hands on that football at the same time. They hit his they hit his the ball. I mean, both his hands hit that ball at the same time. You gotta make that catch. Period. There shouldn't have been no interception. Foles was working that magic. They was about to get in that end zone. Yeah. He was gonna win that game by one. I think Foles was working this magic, but a lot of that came from the Saints defensively. They almost had a defensive lapse there. They started getting into more of a conservative prevent mode where instead of them playing the aggressive type of defense that they had been playing as far as the pass game was concerned, they were more like, uh, we're going to drop back and let them catch it and rally up and tackle. And I don't think that was a good idea because obviously you're giving up a lot of field position in doing that. Had Alshon Jeffries caught that ball, um, they was like near the third. Yeah, that was that was pretty much in great position if Alshon Jeffrey catches that ball. So I don't like the Saints approach, but yeah, I definitely believe they got bailed out on that last drive because Foles was looking good. But um You gotta catch that football. Yeah, period. that's a fact. But now that we're talking about Foles, let's let's switch gears a tad bit. Uh let's stay on Foles, but let's move away from this game. Following that game, Foles came out and said that he wants to be a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, is there a team in the NFL that he can make better right now? It's tough to say, man. It's If I had to bet, I would say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I think if he was going to be a starter, he already would have been one by now. Like he's, It's not like he hasn't had opportunities to be a starter. Yeah, that's a fact. Um, I don't – I can't think of any NFL teams off the top of my head that would be itching to bring in a guy like Foles in order for him to be their starter. Um, I just – I think he's in a, a ideal place where he's at. I would – as far as uh, him being a backup, not necessarily being in Philly. 
because Philly's made it plain that they're they're going with Wentz. Wentz is their guy moving forward. So but Wentz Wentz has also made it clear that he's going to get hurt every year. <laughs> it's so looking that way. Mahomes going to get to play every season, man. Yeah, it's looking that way. But I think with a guy like Foles, I would like to see Foles go somewhere where they have a quarterback, but they're not one hundred percent sold on that quarterback. Maybe somewhere like. Um, like Minnesota or somewhere like a Denver, a place where they've got good quarterbacks, but they're not, they're not, the quarterbacks aren't doing exactly what they need them to do. I wouldn't say so much Minnesota because they have serious issues with their offensive line. But to me, the team that screams out, come to us, is Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville would be a good destination for him because Bortles isn't that guy. You go into a situation next year where you and him are fighting for the position. They basically showed this year that they're not against going against him. They are not against going in a different direction as far as the quarterback is concerned. You come in in the offseason, do what you're supposed to do, and win this job. Now you're in a situation that's even better than what Bortles was in last year. You get a guy like Marquise Lee that comes back. Um, Pretty sure he'll go out and draft some other players to get their offense back. Probably a, a nice receiver to try to build up that receiving core after basically losing everybody. I think that'll be a good fit for Foles. I'm not saying that he necessarily yeah. makes them that much better, but I think he has an opportunity for success there. Yeah, I take that back. I think I think that would be a decent fit for him if he ended up in Jacksonville. I think that would be solid. He'll yeah. definitely end up starting there. Maybe not from week one, but he'll definitely end up starting. Yeah, I feel like that's a team that he can definitely take over the reins with and – Get get the opportunity that he wants. Now, I guess my, my what about the Giants though? Nah, I wouldn't necessarily say the Giants because I think the Giants are looking to bring in more of a um, athletic quarterback, kind of, but more of a, a franchise quarterback, somebody that they know they're going to have for a while, and somebody that they can put their marbles into. I don't necessarily think that. I don't think any team in the NFL sees Foles as being that guy that's going to take us to the next level. And that's what the Giants are looking for. They have Eli. I don't feel like Foles is much of a step up from Eli. If you're going to step up from Eli, you have to go out and get you a guy that you're either going to let sit behind Eli for a year or two and then be like, all right, well, it's it's on. It's his time now. And I think that's the direction they'll go. And I think they'll draft a quarterback this year whether it be um, a Colin Murray or Dwayne Haskins or somebody that I don't necessarily think Colin Murray. I'm thinking more of a Dwayne Haskins or uh, somewhere Will Greer, maybe somebody that they could actually put in that in their system and give him valuable time to progress to where he needs to be. I don't think Foles will be the answer there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them draft a guy. So. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I really don't see too many places in the NFL that Foles is making a team better, that a team is looking like, oh, he want to be a starting quarterback? Go get him right now. Only team I can really think of would be Jacksonville. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'll take my answer back and say that, yeah, he could – he could help Jacksonville for sure. Yeah, I've done some thinking on it, and I really – I thought long and hard. I'm like, dang, where, where could he really go – to to really show that, you know, I deserve to be a starting quarterback. And 
I couldn't come up with anything. I pondered with the uh with the Cardinals for a while, and I don't necessarily uh I don't think that the Cardinals are. I don't think they've given up on Josh Rosen yet. You can't give up on him. You even really got to see who he was going to be. Yeah, so I don't think Foles would fit there. I also thought about the Bills a little bit. I'm looking more. These teams have got young quarterbacks that aren't really looking. They're not. Um, they're not Sam Darnoldish. They're not necessarily. Uh, this is definitely our guy. So I don't know. I don't. I don't really think that he has a place anywhere in the NFL outside of Jacksonville unless he wants to be a backup again. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Nick Foles is the nah, best the backup best. in the he NFL. He's the best one. And that that holds a lot of weight. You better believe there are a lot of teams in the NFL that if you if you have the mentality to where I don't mind being a backup, a lot of NFL teams will pay you good money. You're not going to get paid a lot of money to go somewhere and try to be a starting quarterback. It's just it's not going to happen as a guy like Nick Foles. Like you said, he's had his opportunities. There's a reason why he's still a backup. Teams tried to trade for him last year, but they didn't try to trade for him to become their starter. They tried to trade for him to be in the same position that Philly's in. Uh, if our guy doesn't do what we need him to do or if he gets injured, we got us a nice little fallback in Nick Foles. So, yeah, man, I I think that uh, I think that he yeah he's better off either going somewhere like Jacksonville or I don't know just talking it up that he's going to be a backup so yeah I think that's pretty much enough on Nick Foles we've touched on him for a while so let's uh let's get into our blind resume of this week um first and foremost I want to go on record and say (laughs) listen guys I don't mind the chatter and the uh, I guess the the want to know who these guys are, but I need you guys to understand this. The blind resume is not meant for you guys to guess the players. We did not intend for you guys to be like, oh, I know who resume one is. I know who resume two is. That's not no, that is the complete opposite of what we're looking to do here. Sam, could you tell our listeners what the point of our blind resume is? We just, we just want to challenge the way that you look at and analyze statistics. Like we don't just want you to just look at numbers on the page and just be like, okay, this guy averaged more points. He's better. Like we want you to look at everything on the resume to see who who the better player is cuz i mean technically on every one of these there's there's a better player like and and the one the one this week was like i don't know no 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 not this not this week the one last week what was that KG and uh, Barkley was that last week uh uh-uh, uh last week was Kevin Love Sean Kemp oh no well never mind but anyways just it, we want to challenge the way that you look at these numbers, and and because I feel like the name gets in the way of that sometimes. Like when you see the name of a person, you automatically just you can't you can't take the allure of the player away from it. Yeah. So we're taking the name away and having you just look at the numbers and analyze those numbers to see who you think the be- the better player is. That is the exact point, guys. The point is for you guys to 
throw the names away. Look at just the resumes and make your vote that way. Like Sam said, if you know the name, you're automatically going to be slanted in one direction. So and yeah, and yeah, that's that is and I was talking about the one this week. The one this week is one where you really gotta make a decision between like I want we get to see like do you value winning or do you like is it important for your for your quarterback to have good numbers as far as completion percentage and those type of things, or do you just care that your team wins at the end of the day? Yes. And before we get into it as far as the numbers are concerned, let's talk about um let's talk about the voting here. This was <laughs> this poll was slanted in one direction until people started throwing names out there. And when people started throwing out names of who they thought such and such was, it took a turn and people started to ver- vote for a completely different resume. So that's exactly why we don't tell you guys who the name is or we try to keep you guys from mentioning names in our comments because that it, it had a lot it played a lot into this particular poll. I'll I'll be the first to say that resume one uh won this poll fifty nine percent to forty one percent. But resume two had the lead when I looked at it and then I actually messaged Sam and was like, bro, they in here giving the uh giving our resume away. I'm in here trying to delete comments and stuff. So obviously a few people saw the comments before I could get to delete them and started voting in the other way. But uh let's get into the numbers here, man. Resume one. Oh, mind you, this was our first resume that we've done on football. This is our first NFL resume, blind resume. So resume one. 212 touchdowns, 27,989 passing yards with a 51.9 completion percentage. His passer rating was 70.9. He also threw 210 interceptions. As far as the accolades are concerned, he was a four-time Super Bowl champion, three-time Pro Bowler, one-time MVP, and two-time passing touchdown leader. Resume two, 227 touchdowns in comparison to resumes one's 212 touchdowns. His passing yards were 35,133 passing yards in comparison to 27,000. We'll round it up to 28,000. Completion percentage was 62 even, 62% completion percentage in comparison to a 51.9% completion percentage. Passer rating was 85.3 in comparison to a 70.9. He also threw less interceptions, 160 career interceptions, in comparison to 210 interceptions for resume one. Accolades didn't really have many. One-time Pro Bowl selection. So, this was pretty much... A case of, do you want the quarterback that's more accurate, that can really sling the ball, or do you want a guy who's going to build up the accolades? So, Sam, resume one was who? Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw. And resume two was who? Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler. Listen, guys, if we put the names out there, 
this is probably nobody's the- taking <laughs> exactly 100% no- <laughs> to zero. <laughs> Nobody is going to take a Jay Cutler over a Terry Bradshaw if you throw the name out there. Now, that is why we don't do the names. People were in the comments saying resume one is Terry Bradshaw. I know that's Terry Bradshaw. And everybody else was like, they don't really know who it is. I don't know who number two is, but they were saying that they the name was Terry Bradshaw. So they're like, shoot, I done heard of Terry Bradshaw. Should bet that's who I'm going with. Guys, we need y'all to refrain from doing that. We need y'all but refrain. It was- it was some comments in there that was like, like people was really like debating about the numbers though. Like, yes, I did love to see that. Up, like, um, he was like, resume two seems like he just had the worst team, yep. had to do more with less. And resume one just looks like he wasn't very good. He just had a way better team. I mean, I mean that that is basically what it is. I mean, that's a fact. Clearly. I never, I never, you know, I'm not a big football guy, so I never knew what Terry Bradshaw's numbers was. I just knew he was in the Hall of Fame and whatnot. But looking at his numbers, how can you justify that that guy was a great quarterback? The thing about Terry Bradshaw is that I omitted from this particular resume because I would have given it away, was that Terry Bradshaw was a good runner as well. His running statistics oh, were, oh. were really good. He was a really good runner. So his – uh. What he lacked passing, he made up for a run. Okay, because Lord have mercy. <laughs> yeah, he was. A, they talk about Vic. Yeah, exactly. And this this is somebody that you really point to when you look at um, whether Vic gets into the Hall of Fame or not. You point to guys like a Terry Bradshaw. The big difference is I didn't even though he was a runner at all. Yeah, he was a capable runner, a very capable runner. Um, differences between him. And Vic, as far as, uh, I guess, their case for Hall of Fames is how successful they were, man. You look at Terry Bradshaw with all of these uh, accolades. Like, he had stellar accolades as far as uh, championships and MVP and final and Super Bowl MVPs and things of that nature. A passing leader for one year. So, that... That obviously plays into, um, yeah, that plays into him as well. Uh, Terry Bradshaw had 32 career rushing touchdowns, so he was a a pretty a pretty capable runner. He ran for two bands. That's not stellar, but that's good for that decade of that time that he played. But um, yeah, man, that's pretty much our blind resume. Let's let's jump. Let's stay football, but let's jump college football real quick. Uh, this is a game that obviously was played quite some time ago. At least it seems like it. It's really only been about a week or so. But uh, Bama and Clemson. This was a game that I believe caught, mm, I'll say, 80% of America by surprise. I don't think anybody expected. No, I think more than that. I think it caught everybody by surprise. I think so, too. I, I think more of the dominance caught people by surprise. Yeah. But I saw a lot of people picking Clemson. Yeah, I don't think it surprised people that Clemson won. I think it just surprised people how that shit happened. Like, yeah. It it was Clemson dominating from basically kickoff to the end. That's a fact. Um yeah, man, that, it it was extremely dominant, uh, dominant of Clemson. So, 
uh, with that being the case, do you think Clemson was that much better than Bama? No, I don't. I think that Bama came in cocky as hell. I think they came in with a cocky game plan, feeling like they didn't have to change much. They came in basically like we just going to do what got us here, as opposed to Clemson, who um, one of the analysts has said during the game that um, it looks like Clemson prepared for Bama for a whole month. Like, they knew for a fact that they was just better than Notre Dame Mm -hmm. and was going to beat Notre Dame, so they didn't even prepare for Notre Dame. They was getting ready for Bama, while Bama just used the week to get ready for Clemson, which I don't know if that's true or not, but... That's how it appears. Yeah, it seemed like Clemson was way more prepared for Bama than Bama was for Clemson. I never seen a Bama team just, just look like deer in the headlights like that that was new that was new i never seen that before i think they definitely prepared for bama for quite some time out i don't know if it's been a month if it had been a month but i wouldn't be surprised with the way that it looked there were a lot of things that i saw clemson do to bama that they had not done to any other um any other teams and i felt like this was more of a uh, a game to where Dabo Sweeney really showed how great of a coach he was. He did a lot of scheming defensively that a lot of coaches would not dare to take the risk of doing. One particular play was the first interception at two or through. This was something that um, they said that they really they planned on doing. That's why it was successful. What they did was they ran a zone, and they know how cocky of a passer Tua is. So they they scheme to have a guy come completely out of his zone. They knew Tua would throw the ball, leaving a zone completely open only because they know Tua is a confident passer. So if he sees a zone, he knows where he's going with the ball, so it's either going to be you're going to you got a guy that can get there and make a play in time or you're just going to get burned. And Clemson took a huge gamble. And I think they went into this game knowing we can score on Alabama. All we need is a couple takeaways and we'll win this game. And to me, that's what happened. They got Bama in an unfamiliar position. Bama hasn't been in any games where they've had to really fight from behind and I guess show that they're really that much more dominant than any other team. Granted, Georgia had uh, somewhat of a lead on Bama, but not enough to where Bama felt scared or felt like, you know, nervous. This was definitely a game to where I felt like Bama got punched in the mouth, and they didn't respond. No, they didn't. They panicked. Nick Saban even panicked. Yes. This was the first time I've ever seen the Nick Saban team get out coached. I will say. I don't, I don't think I've seen it. Um, yeah, man, I just – I commend Dabo, and I commend the guys from Clemson for stepping up and really showing what they were capable of because I've I've gone on record saying it all throughout the podcast since the college football season has started. I wasn't a believer in Clemson after they got rid of uh, – after uh, Kelly Bryant left. But I will tell you this. Trevor Lawrence is a special specimen. 
Yes. <laughs> he, he's a special that specimen. That's Sunshine. Yes, that is Sunshine for those who don't know Sunshine from uh Remember the Titans. That that's a he is Sunshine. And he's got a bright future ahead of him, man. So I feel like that name is definitely fitting. But man, he really showed up and showed out. He basically showed that I don't care who is across from me. I know what I'm capable of, and I'm going to continue to play my game. That's what he did. So, uh, yeah, big big shout-out to Trevor Lawrence and Clemson for making me a believer because I didn't believe, but I guess it took all the way down for y'all to beat the brakes off Bama in the national championship for me to believe. But, yeah, man, was there anything else that you took away from this game that was important? That was it. Yeah, that was pretty much it, man. It wasn't really much to, to I guess, take away as, as much as they beat up on Bama. But let's um let's talk let's talk um transfers, I guess. This has pretty much been a hot topic as far as college football is concerned. We've already touched on Justin Fields a couple of times, but his decision has now made another guy jump into the transfer portal. That guy being Tate Martell. Now, Tate Martell was pretty much in line to be Ohio State starting quarterback this year with Dwayne Haskins going to the NFL. So, yeah, man, with Justin Fields officially transferring to Ohio State, Tate Martell has said, you know what? I don't, I think I'm going to see, I'm going to throw my name in the hat and see what I can get from it. Um, as far as Tate's concerned, I want to touch on that situation because a lot of people are bashing Tate Martell and saying, well, yeah, he better transfer or he transferring because he know he can't compete or he transferring because Justin Fields is flat out better. We've both gone on record saying on this podcast that we both believe that Tate Martell is the better guy. I, I still believe Tate Martell is the better guy. Like I said in our group chat, I am more upset about Tate Martell potentially transferring than I am about Urban Meyer retiring because I know that's how special of a specimen Tate Martell is. But here's the thing. Looking at it from a fan standpoint as far as the Buckeyes are concerned and the guy who's followed Tate Martell since he committed to Ohio State, I don't feel like Tate Martell is transferring because he doesn't think he can win the job or he feels threatened by Justin Fields. He is simply transferring because he feels disrespected. It's as simple as that. I I told Sam this. You have to really take a step back and look at it from his point of view. Tate Martell is a guy who came to Ohio State with hopes of being the starting quarterback. Obviously, his freshman year, he got red-shirted. They said, you know what, son, we need you to beef up a little bit. You're not quite ready to go out here. So he does that. He takes that year off. After seeing that JT Barrett isn't really doing what he needed to do in order to lead these guys to be successful, here comes his his opportunity. Now here comes a guy, Dwayne Haskins, who is flat-out throwing the ball so well that we can't go away from him. There's no other direction to go, and I know he's not as athletic but the way that he throws the ball, we need that in our offense. So now that he's leaving, this is Tate Martell's opportunity. He's like, bet, finally get my chance. This is about, this is about to be my team now. And I still got years of eligibility to go. Let's go. Let's rock. 
Now you look at it from this standpoint. Tate Martell knows he's about to be the starting quarterback. There's talks of a guy who's transferring into Ohio State. Tate Martell doesn't feel threatened, but then you have a guy in Urban Meyer and Dwayne Haskins who, instead of instilling in the Tate, yeah, you're our guy moving moving forward next year. You know you're our guy. Even if he wants to transfer, we still, I mean, y'all still going to have a quarterback battle. It's, I mean, it is what it is. If you, if you win out, then you'll be our guy. But these are guys who are inviting Justin Fields to come sit courtside with them at games. <laughs> and Tate Martell was looking at it like, damn, they're really rolling out the red carpet for this guy. I understand that, you know, that he's interested in coming here. And I'm not saying don't make him feel welcome. But y'all are outwardly saying, this is our guy. You come down here, you're going to be our starting quarterback. We feel so confident in you that we're going to let you chop it up with our guy that just ran our offense. He's going to give you the ins and outs, especially along with Urban Meyer, our head coach, who pretty much put all of this into play. Now, Tate Martell's looking at this like, dang, I, I know I'm here, and I know they know I'm here. So if I stay here and they're rolling out the red carpet like this already and he's not even here yet, he hasn't even fully committed, the odds are already stacked against me in a quarterback battle next year. They've already shown their favoritism now. So best believe they'll probably show their favoritism when it comes time for the quarterback battle. Basically won't be a battle. Exactly. That's exactly how I how I view it. And like I said, I think Tate Martell is much better as far as this offense is concerned. You've gone on record saying both of these guys are capable passers. But when it comes to running, Tate Martell is head and shoulders more talented than Justin Fields. And and an Ohio State offense, that's what you look for. A guy that can throw the ball, because Tate can sling it. Let's not get that confused. Tate can sling the ball, but he is extremely talented. He's a scary runner when he runs the ball. So, um. That's just a little background on this situation, but what do you think is the best case scenario or situation for both of these guys? Excuse me. Let's start out with um, with Justin Fields. Obviously, most people would say the best case scenario for him would be for Tate to transfer. Obviously, what um what what's your take on this? What do you think the best case scenario is for this? For Tate, oh. <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> Straight like that. You really want to get nasty going up going up north and play with hardball. He's gonna get you right. He's gonna let you run the pill. And, and you get to break Ohio State's heart finally. And you're gonna be a legend at at Michigan if you beat Ohio State. Especially at the climate they got right now. Can't buy a W against <laughs> Ohio State, man. You the quarterback, the, the next quarterback to beat Ohio State right now at Michigan is going to be a legend forever. That's a fact. fact. Oh my goodness! But nah, he ain't going to go to Michigan though. I think he probably end up somewhere at like a spread offense or something. Um, I just feel like I wonder if he thought about it because Tate is like kind of like a spiteful type. Of oh person. yeah, he's yeah he <laughs> he's got to pat my back badge. That's for sure. Yeah, but I don't know. It was, I just thought that would be funny if he went to Michigan, but I don't think he really would go there. I think he'll probably end up in – I think WVU probably 
really might really happen. Yeah, he's already visited Morgantown, and he just now he's about to uh, visit Miami. I just saw on his Instagram, I believe it was earlier today or maybe last night, he uh he was in Florida, and his homeboy was like, uh, yeah, y'all hurry up and uh y'all go get on his Twitter and get on his Instagram and go ahead and tweet at him, Miami Martell, and then yeah, got up out of there. That's the type of city he likes. I mean, he's from he he went to school, high school in Vegas. That that's that look that seems more Tate Martell is Miami. That's where WVU might lose at. Yeah, I think he's more of a glitz and glamour type of guy. I mean, you, he definitely is. You, have you ever, you watch QB? Yes, I sure have. I <laughs> yeah, sure have. He, he's definitely that type of guy. He went, yeah. So he he likes that atmosphere, and I think that all signs are pointing to. Um, WVU only for the simple fact that Miami has hired um, Alabama's offensive coordinator I believe it was or a quarterback coach one of them to come down there and to me that has Jalen Hurts written all over it I think that Jalen Hurts will end up in Miami and for that reason that'll lead Tate to Morgantown which I definitely don't want to see but I personally think you know I don't want to see Tate Martell at WVU. Why not? Because I'm a Tate fan and I cannot stand West Virginia, especially West Virginia fans. Me either, but we like it a little bit right now since Reek up there. Yeah, I, I want success for Reek, about to be up there. But I definitely don't want to hear any I don't want to hear from them WU fans. Oh, we done took y'all's quarterback and now look where we at, this, this, and that, that. I don't got time to hear none of that. And for two, I where else, though? Yeah, that's where else is definitely the question. But to me, if I'm Tate, I hold off a little bit. I understand that you're upset, but wait. Just wait a little longer because you need to see whether Justin Fields is eligible or not. You but don't do you want to make them happy now. I, I think, I like think I said, Tate's a spiteful guy. He's definitely a spiteful guy, but I think Tate's one of those – I don't think. After watching QB1, I know – Tate is a uh, – he's all about his team. He's a team player. So I I feel like that's the only silver lining in this is that he loves Ohio State. He loves those guys. After he left um, Columbus, he actually went straight to his Instagram and posted him and his, uh, him and his linemen from Ohio State. He was right there back with his linemen. So it's not all signs are saying that he's leaving. It's not 100% written in stone. Obviously, it looks that way. But if I'm Tate, I hold off on it a little bit. But then, I mean, you never know. His homeboys at uh, at Ohio State could be telling him, bro, I feel you. Do what you got to mm-hmm. do, bro. If, they, if they're going to do you like this, get up out of here. Do what you got to do. So it's a sticky situation. But, yeah, I think uh, all signs are pointing to West Virginia. I also wouldn't rule out USC. I wouldn't rule For that real? out at all because that's close to home. It's close to home. Um, I did say that in hopes, but I was just joking a little bit. Nah, the more I thought about it, the more I can see it. I can see USC, and I can see UCLA. Just for the simple fact. I don't think we're looking for a quarterback, though. I I don't think that they're going to do JT like that. Man, if Tate Martell say he want to come to USC, Tate Martell is going to USC. Yeah, but I don't think they would uh, pursue him, though. Yeah, I don't think that they would either. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up there or UCLA. Because they're they're both close to home, 
and they well, both have the very. Yeah, if we're talking UCLA. Let's just stay on the East Coast. <laughs> Don't go there. They um. Then you also look into another team that um pretty much has had success in the Pac-12. I would say, and they really lacked having a good quarterback, and that is uh Stanford. I wouldn't I wouldn't put past him going to Stanford as well, seeing as that is in that the West Coast area as well. But I feel like that's a long, 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 long shot because they don't fit his game style at all. But um yeah, man, I, I really don't know. I think right now WU has the is the clear favorite. Yeah, I believe so too. But um yeah, let's let's uh let's talk another guy who was a quarterback on the college level, at least for now. Well, was. I guess it's over for that. Kyler Murray, he has committed to the NFL. Does this mean that he'll go to the NFL? And do you think that this is the best move for him? Um, yeah, I think he's going to go to the NFL. I don't think he's going to play baseball. I, uh, I I agree. I don't know if it's going to be the best move or not until we see where he get drafted. Because, I mean, if he get drafted in the first round, then he's going to be making more money mm-hmm. playing football. But I just wouldn't play football for other reasons besides the money. But, I mean, shit, if that's what make him happy, then, I mean, you don't want to be doing something that don't make you happy. So There's, uh, I would say at this point, the NFL is what he's leaning toward, but I feel like a lot of people are blowing it out of proportion just because he entered his name. What people don't realize is that there is a deadline before there's a deadline that you have to meet in order to enter your name into the draft. And he actually waited until the deadline. If he would have waited a a day more, he would have had to wait until next year's draft to become eligible. So he waited as long as he possibly could to enter his name in order to give him enough time to think about it. And I still think that that means that, excuse me, um, baseball has a part of his heart. They have a lot of his heart. And the thing to me that's standing out is the money. If you enter your name into the NFL draft and you get selected in the first round, big money, like you said. But here's the thing. I think a lot of people are missing the fact that the MLB actually has an opportunity to give him the money that yeah, he's seeking, the roster. but still allow him to play as a minor league player. And that um, basically what you do is you put him on a major league contract and you put him on a major league roster. But he actually... Um, he would count toward the 40-man major league roster, but he would also start out in the minor league. So I think that he's doing it the smart way. He gave them enough time to think about it, but before they could play their hand, he played his. All right, so I'm not going to let y'all stall me out until it's too far and I can't put my name into the draft. So here it is. My name's in the draft. Y'all know where I'm looking at going. Now that the mock draft has come out, he is projected to be a first-rounder. So if he's projected to be a first-rounder, now the ball is in the MLB's court. It's in the Oakland A's court. Are you going to let this guy walk and just say, you know what, 
If that's what you want to do, kid, go do it. But we can't offer you that the type of money that you're going to get in the NFL. Are you going to take that stance? Or are you going to say, you know what, I think he's got a future here. He's a special baseball player. You know what, son? Here, we'll we'll give you this money and let you work your way up to being as comfortable as you want to be. Because I personally think Kyler Murray likes baseball more than he likes football. But I think it's the money right now that's making him go back and forth. I feel like if the Oakland A's were to come out tomorrow and be like, we're prepared to offer him this amount of money and allow him to go to the minor league. I don't think he'll I don't think he'll second guess it at all. I think he's gone. Yeah. So I think that uh I think he'll go to the NFL if the Oakland A's don't make a move. I think he's good either way. He's like I can play football. Obviously I want to play baseball, but I don't mind playing football at all. Especially for this money. So I think that what he's doing is the best move for him. I'd definitely say that. But um yeah, man, that's that's pretty much it as far as football is concerned. We don't have really too much else to touch on and well, I'm going to try to speed this up so our episode won't be too long for our listeners. Um, let's talk NBA real quick. Luka. Everybody should know the name Luka by now. Luka Doncic is now drawing comparisons to LeBron James. I guess uh, he's drawing those comparisons because of his success at such a young age. Is Luka the best rookie that we've seen since LeBron Sam? No. <laughs> that was quick. He ain't. I mean, uh, give me KD. Uh, yeah, I like KD, too. I like KD as well. I like KD and I like Kyrie as well. Those are two guys that I feel like their rookie year just stood out so much. Like, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to condemn what Luke is doing at all. He's definitely having a phenomenal season. But there have been other rookie seasons that I've looked and been like, wow. Like, he is fully dominating the NBA at a level that I have not seen anybody do with it. Yeah, saying that is just more prisoner at the moment shit. I agree. I agree 100%. And, um, he, the, he the latest one to do it, so now he the best. Whoever's <laughs> the latest is the best. That's how it seems to go. That's how it seems to go in any aspect, so... That pretty much wrapped that one up real quick. But let's talk about some trade rumors, man. Uh, We've already talked about uh, Dennis Smith Jr. potentially being traded, and it's showing that they're they're trying to push him even more now with Luka's recent success. And um, another point guard who is also, uh, I guess, being talked about in trades, not quite as – large as Dennis Smith Jr., but there are starting to be some Lonzo Ball trades uh, being talked about. Should the Lakers keep or trade Lonzo? I mean, if LeBron James is a part of your future, which clearly he is, then I say you trade Lonzo Ball. I mean, he doesn't really fit with LeBron. He is stunting his growth, and he just can't. he can't shoot it. So he just can't find his way with Braun. That's why you see you'll see certain nights where he he hitting spot up threes. Then you'll see other nights where he just playmaking. Like then you'll see other nights where he just playing D. Like he don't know what his role is on that team. He has no idea. He just doesn't fit. Yeah. I um uh, 
I can agree with that. And for that reason, I've been saying since the LeBron speculations came about, I do not want LeBron in L.A. for this reason. I knew this was going to happen. I, I called this months ago. LeBron James is going to stunt the growth of the young Lakers, mostly being Lonzo Ball because both of them are ball dominant. Now Lonzo is a shorter LeBron James, like as far as like yeah, hands. he's like he don't score like Bron and shit like that. But his approach do, to the game, yeah, he he's going to score, he's going to distribute, he's going to rebound, he's going to do a little bit of everything. Now, but he has to have the ball in his hands. The Laker fan in me does not want to trade Lonzo Ball because Lonzo's going to be great. Let's just, I mean, let's call it what it yeah, is. He he's going to be great, but. Like you said, if the Lakers are planning on having LeBron James as their future and that's what they want to build around, then you've got to trade Lonzo. And I'm the type of guy that's like, I don't I don't I don't believe it's wise for the Lakers to build around LeBron because granted he is going to be there for the next three years following this year. But you don't want to send a sign to your younger players that Shit, we get a we if we can get another superstar in here, we don't care nothing about y'all young guys. You look at a guy like a Brandon Ingram, who if he sees that you guys ship off Lonzo, now he's like, shit. Well, Kawhi talking about possibly coming here next year or somebody else at my position. Does that mean that they'll ship me too? And I feel like that it alters your culture there. Those guys that came in together and basically played those years prior to LeBron being there together, they built a bond. And I think that it's almost make or break right now for Lonzo, but Lonzo's doing exactly what he's supposed to do because with LeBron being out, Luke Walton has openly said in in uh, in interviews, in press conferences, he said – I've challenged Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram to step up and be the leaders of this team, of this team while LeBron's not here. And they've both stepped up and done exactly what they've needed to do. Granted, the Lakers aren't winning as many games as they would hope, but they're, they're winning a lot of games. And these guys are taking the initiative as far as getting everybody involved and up to speed and actually leading. So I like what Lonzo's doing, but... I, I don't know, man. It's hard to tell. I think the Lakers just may eventually ship him off, especially if he keeps playing the way that he's been playing here recently. You got to – you need shooting at, at that spot, and, and he can't provide it. Yeah. Like, y'all would be much better suited to have two good shooting and ball-handling point guards. I agree. They ain't got to be nothing special, 10 to 12 points per game four or five assists, play some decent D. That's all y'all need. Lonzo Lonzo just doesn't fit on the LeBron James team. I mean, you look at any team LeBron's ever played on, when has he ever had a point guard like Lonzo? Never. None of the point guards he ever played with handles the rock. That's a fact. Because LeBron is that person who handles the rock. He's the point guard of the offense. He's not the point guard on your roster. But on the floor, he's your point guard. That's a fact, and that that's the that's the uh, I feel like the that's the part that the Lakers didn't really think about too much as far as bringing in LeBron. 
when you draft a guy like Lonzo, maybe I mean maybe they did. Maybe they drafted a guy like Lonzo thinking we may not have a chance of getting Braun. And then they realized, oh, we really got a chance to get Braun. I feel like if they knew off gate that they were going to get a guy like Braun, you go out and draft a guy like Jason Tatum. That's that's just what you do. But yeah, I mean it just or a guy like uh Donovan Mitchell. But regardless, I mean We'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Let's uh, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk one of the more laughable um, topics of this particular podcast. Nick Collison becomes the first player to get his jersey retired by the Thunder. Um, <laughs> is he worthy of getting his jersey retired by the Thunder? Or being the first Thunder player to get his jersey retired, do you feel that way? Absolutely not. I, I think, <laughs> it, like, KD and Russ got to just feel so disrespected. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would, especially Collison. Collison. <laughs> the, re- Bro, the reason why this topic is so laughable is because we actually had debates with people who were defending the fact that Nick Collison was getting his jersey retired. Like, yeah, that's a good move. They should retire him. This is one for the fans. This is why they're doing it. They're doing it for the fans. I understand that. Hold on, no. I don't. <laughs> show me show me some fans asking for Nick Collison to get his jersey retired. Yeah, I agree. Like, who, who, was, who was pulling for that? I think that fans appreciate Nick Collison, and he's one of those guys that will get a standing ovation when he decides – Excuse me. When he's played his last game in the Thunder uniform, he'll 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 get that standing ovation, which I'm sure he did. Um, but I don't. <laughs> just because you spend your whole career with a team does not mean that you get your jersey retired. No. That that's the only. <laughs> that is he never the only thing that he could possibly say. As far as, or that could be the only reason that people could give you as to why Collison gets his jersey retired. He never averaged double figure anything in his whole entire career. Not points, not boards, not blocks, not nothing. Double figure nothing ever. What exactly are you seeing in the front office at OKC that makes you feel like, yeah, let's retire Nick Collison's jersey? I don't. I can't wrap my head around. I don't think he's deserving <laughs> and getting his jersey retired at all. That's supposed to be something like sacred, ain't it? Like that's supposed to, your jersey hanging in the rafters. That's supposed to be like, like that. That I thought that was a big thing. Here's the thing. Let's fast forward twenty years now, twenty years from now, twenty five years from now. Kids who aren't even born yet, when they hit about. 20, 20, 18, 19, somewhere around there. And they go to an OKC game, and they're looking up in the rafters. Obviously, KD will be up there by the end. Russ will be up there by the end. Then you come across Nick Collison. They turn to their dad. Hey, dad, Nick Collison was that nice? He got his jersey retired. Ah, well, he was the first player to, to finish his career, play his whole career with the Thunder. He took a couple pay cuts. Uh, but was he nice, Dad? What What did he do? What was Nick Collison known for? 
Shit, he played his whole career with the Thunder. That's all that really mattered. That's why his jersey up there. That's the I mean, only thing decent, that you can say. He's a decent rebounder. He was a solid role player and whatnot. But are we just hanging role player jerseys? No. If you were Robert Ory's jersey, it'd be somewhere. I feel like it'd be a lot of Derek Fisher's them. jersey would be hanging up yeah, there. Yeah, like, we're 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 already these role player jerseys here. When did this become acceptable? It's not because now can't nobody wear number four because of Nick Collison. <laughs> wow. Okay. That because that means that means no ring. No, like I can see if he won a ring there, like he was on the first championship team, he was like a big part of it somehow, like not not numbers wise or something. Like I just don't see what he did. I, I had to pull up his numbers to see, like, did he have a year where he averaged like twenty and ten or something? Like, no, he never even averaged ten anything. This this confuses the culture when kids <laughs> when kids. Look up in the rafters and see a Nick Collison jersey. They instantly gonna go to go look up his stats, go see what he did. I ain't never heard of Nick Collison. He must have been nice back in the day. You know how he's a five and five <laughs> guy for his career. You know how like uh like people we may not have never heard of, but you see their names or see that their jerseys numbers is retired. So you go look up some highlights or just look up a documentary on them or something like that. There's not gonna be any of that for Nick Collison. People gonna type in Nick Collison highlights and they're gonna get Kansas. If you type in Nick Collison highlights for Oklahoma City, it's probably gonna be all of two minutes and fifteen seconds, if that. So I just I don't understand what OKC is doing with this. I just don't get it. So And people were saying that when we was debating people were saying that we don't appreciate role players and stuff and that's not the case nobody's saying we hate role players we just saying role players don't deserve their numbers to be retired because there are great role players on every championship team fact that's exactly and, what and Nick i was Collison about to say wasn't even on a championship team and he's getting his number retired as a laker fan i feel like i'm the last person that people can say that i don't appreciate role players role players are the reason why my favorite players have rings. Let's just keep it a buck. If it wasn't for Trevor Ariza that one year, locking up and getting that steal, Kobe may not have had that ring number five. If it weren't for Derek Fisher hitting those threes and hitting that the, the three against the Spurs, Kobe may not have had that ring. I mean, let's just, let's just call it what it is. My teams have had... Phenomenal role players. Derek Fisher, Robert Ory, Lamar Odom. Guys like that have been the reason why we've won. So I appreciate role players more than probably a lot of people. But this is something that I can't get with. I can't get with you retiring in Nick Collison jersey. I just can't. I can't can't understand it. I can't wrap my head around it. But, yeah, man, that's enough on Nick Collison. We're both in agreement that he should not have his jersey retired, and I'm pretty sure that's 99.4% of the United States of America. But, um, yeah, let's let's talk college basketball, man. This is yet another reason why my weekend wasn't so phenomenal. Um, our Blue Devils played – actually, we played on Saturday. We played a tough, hard-fought game which we actually won on a buzzer beater against Florida State. Then we had to turn around and play 
um, Syracuse. And we ended up losing to Syracuse in overtime. We also lost Trey Jones with a shoulder sprain. <sighs> are, are the Blue Devils in trouble with having Trey Jones out for some time? <sighs> this one hurts. Who you telling? I'm going to say, yeah. Out of all that talent we still going to put on the floor, out of all the all the talent in this recruiting class we just had, Trey Jones was probably the one guy that we could not afford to lose. I know that probably sounds crazy to a lot of y'all, but that's what's been lacking out of the past recruiting classes the past few years, if you're wondering why Coach K ain't cutting no nets down with the classes he's been getting. It's been that point guard spot. We have not had that guy running the show like Trey Jones since Tyus Jones, his big brother. Like, that's what we miss. That's what we've been missing. And now we're about to be missing it again. That is a fact, and I'll take it a step further. It's been even longer than that, that we've had a point guard that handles the offense the way that he does and then on the opposite end, defends as well as he does. It's been a very long time since we've had a a defensive point guard or a point guard that plays defense as well as him. I could probably say it probably goes all the way back to like a Sean Dockery. It's been a long time since we've had a guy that really plays defense at that point guard slot. And it's crazy because right before his injury, the analysts and the commentators that were calling the game actually came out and said the same, the very thing that I had been thinking, I just didn't want to say it because I was going to sound biased. They referred to Trey Jones as the best on-ball defender in the nation. And I can't dispute that not one bit. And even beyond his defensive ability, Trey Jones was leading the nation in assist to turnover ratio. Do you know how big that is as a point guard to lead the nation in that? That's huge. Now, I say that to say this. Duke is in trouble, but the only way that Duke can overcome this is if they get Cam Reddish to step up and be be that offensive juggernaut that they know he's capable of being. The reason why I say that is because you've got a guy in R.J. Barrett who is capable of running the show. And we also know he's capable of scoring. But to me, the biggest thing is that you want to take a little bit of that scoring load off of him so he doesn't feel like I have to go out here and get 25 to 30 a night in order for us to win. You get Cam Reddish out there filling it up the way that he should be. Now RJ can take a step back as far as scoring and be like, yeah, okay, I'm comfortable with facilitating. I can do that. Obviously not to the level of what Trey Jones can. But he's capable of being enough of a facilitator as long as Cam Reddish and Zion continue to do, or Zion continues to do what he has been. Cam Reddish I don't needs think to step up. It's not just the, the facilitating, though, that we're going to miss from Trey Jones, though. I think it's going to be it's, that game management more than anything. That's, that's – the big that's the reason why we lost to Syracuse we saw that instantly. yeah we saw that instantly soon like 
we saw that the game that he went out, we lost because we did not manage the clock down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And Coach K, I guess, for whatever reason, didn't didn't remember that Trey Jones wasn't out there or what. But he should have been doing more game management considering Trey Jones was not on the floor. Because mm-hmm. we, we didn't get good looks down the stretch of that game. I feel like if Trey Jones is playing – we finish that game with the W because we get good looks down the, down the stretch of overtime. I agree. I agree 100%. And the thing with that is, for those who don't know, a sprained shoulder um, at its severest can run you to six to eight weeks. That's a long time. We're already approaching February. That means March Madness is right around the corner. Eight weeks is two months. What does that tell you? It seems to be a wrap for Trey Jones as far as this year is concerned. Now, we can hope that it doesn't last that long, but if it does, Duke's championship hopes just dwindled a bit. That's not to say that we won't win it all, but the odds are definitely stacked against us now. I'll definitely say that. But um, yeah. Was uh, was there anything? Unless, unless Austin Goldwire come out of nowhere and show us that shit. Jordan Goldwire. Well, see that exactly. That's yeah. That's the odds right there. <laughs> oh, what I will say is one thing I want to add about that game is Alex O'Connell finally gave me what I wanted to see from him. He got an opportunity. And he made the most of it. Um, we definitely need much more of that from him with Trey Jones being out, but Jordan Goldwire is going to have to step up and be a guy that obviously nobody knows right now. He's going to have to be a guy that people know. And I think that that's asking too much from him. I think he's an extremely solid backup point guard. And that's where that that's it. That's what he is. So I don't know. I would say we're in trouble. Was there anything else you wanted to add about that before we get out of here real quick? Nah. All right. Well, let's do our pickums. You got Patriots at Chiefs this week. Who you got? What's the score? Give me the Patriots, 31-24. Give me, give me the Chiefs. Give me the Chiefs, 42-31. Um, Rams at the Saints, who you got? My guys. Score. Uh... 30-27. I like that. Give me the Rams, 31-24. Um, Saturday, basketball. We got number one Duke at number four UVA. Give me, give me my Blue Devils. Ooh. 65-64. Oh, man. So on some Grayson type uh, joint, huh? Like how we did them a couple years ago. Yeah, but I think it's going to be R.J. Barrett. <laughs> um, I like the Blue Devils as well for the simple fact that without Trey Jones, people are going to obviously be uh, – Duke's obviously going to be the underdog for the first time uh, probably this year. First time this yeah. year, they'll be the underdog uh, going to Charlottesville. So I like Duke as well. I like Duke um, – and a low scoring 58 54. 
Yeah, 58-54. That's what I like. So, uh, yeah, man, that pretty much wraps it up. You got anything you want to say to the people before we get out of here, man? Follow the Instagram. Follow the Instagram at Pick and Roll Podcast. Interact with us on Instagram, on Facebook. And please, please, please stop giving up the resumes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say it one more time. Stop naming the resumes. We don't care if y'all know. We're not testing y'all's knowledge as far as to know who who y'all know. Just read the resumes and make your vote, guys. We appreciate y'all. We really do, but that stuff was getting annoying this weekend. I can't even lie. But, uh, yeah, man, that's pretty much it. Signing out, it's your boy Ish. It's your boy Sam. We appreciate y'all for listening. We out.